Uh, let's jump into our lesson today, and uh, this this lesson is kind of a follow-up on um, Sunday's lesson, actually. On Sunday, we talked about the promises of God and how the promises of God comfort us and, and encourage us and heal our doubt, and that we can completely count on the promises of God because God is completely trustworthy. It's impossible for Him to lie, and because of His character and because of Christ's work, um, it's the most secure thing that you can ever place your faith in, that it's more safe to live for the promises of God than to live for anything else that this world has to offer. And then a question was submitted. I'm guessing as a follow-up from that, and it's, well, what are God's promises, and where can I find them? That's a great question, because sometimes we just keep it general, trust in the promises of God. Okay, what are they? And how do I know which ones are for me versus which ones are not for me? Um, how do I know that I can totally bank on a promise that I find in Scripture? And so I thought this would be a good opportunity to follow up with that and say, okay, let's examine the promises of God. If this is where our hope lies, if this is where what living by faith is, then we need to know what those promises are. You know, there's a lot of pages in the Bible, isn't there? There's a lot of uh, things said, a lot of claims, a lot of promises. But it's hard to wade through... Um, which ones are for me? And, uh, and how do I make sure that I... I think sometimes we can claim a promise for ourselves when God's like, uh, no, that wasn't for you. Um, don't, don't put your hope in that because that wasn't meant for you. And we can almost hijack a promise or a claim in Scripture and, and, and then get upset at God for it not coming true when in reality He never promised it to you in the be- to begin with. But if it is the cure for, for discouragement and for doubt, then we need to know what those are. And we talked about um, some of those promises in the lesson on Sunday, um, but there's so much more to God's promises. I think it's really important for us to dig into. Just as a review, maybe for those of you who weren't here on Sunday, we were looking at Hebrews 6. And uh, in that passage, it says, So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And these two unchangeable things, let's just see, just for bonus, anyone, can anyone tell me from Sunday, who's here Sunday, what are the two unchangeable things? Yes? Very good. God's promise and God's oath. So God made a promise to Abraham and then he sealed it with an oath. And, and, and God is, it's impossible for God to lie. So these two unchangeable things pile up on top of each other as a, as a double guarantee that you can have strong encouragement in his promises. And then we look at the death of Christ, so that we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. God's promises are completely reliable. We read in Numbers twenty three nineteen, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said... And, he, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken? And will he not fulfill it? When God says something and it's meant for you, you can be completely sure that it will come true. There's a passage in 2 Peter chapter 1, 3-4, through directed to us as Christians, where it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, and by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, 
so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. If you're a Christian today, God has granted you precious and very great promises. He's given you everything you need for life and godliness. He's bestowed so much on you, but sometimes we don't fully grasp everything that he has bestowed on us. And in the book of Hebrews and elsewhere, it talks about that, that living a life of faith as a Christian is simply having confidence in what God has said and living accordingly. So, where can I find God's promises? What's the easy answer? The Bible. The Bible, yes. All right, that's kind of a cop-out answer, but I thought it's worth saying. But that's, I, that, 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 what's the full answer, okay? Uh, yes, in the Bible. Where in the Bible? In the paper, on the words on the paper, to be more specific. Here's a more full answer. Wherever we find a guarantee from God that is intended for us. And and there's a very important clarification in there, okay? In other words, wherever the Bible says God will do this, and it's written to you. So, let's look at some examples of God's promises that are not for us, okay? Genesis 12, 2 through 3, I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Who is this promise to? Abraham! Now, if you claim this promise for yourself, what, um... You're selfish. Sure. But if you, what could go wrong if you mistook this problem, this promise for yourself? Right. It can lead you down yeah, so, so here he's telling Abraham, right, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a great nation of you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bestow you with riches and all these things. And we can look at that and be like, oh, God just promised me that, that I will bless, he will bless me and make my name great. Right? And then God doesn't make your name great. And so you realize, you start thinking, oh, maybe, maybe God doesn't keep his promises. Maybe God's word isn't true, right? See, we, we kind of take a promise that was never meant for us, claim it for ourselves, it doesn't come true, and then we, we, we might blame God for it. But this is a promise to Abraham, not to us. How about this one? 1 Corinthians 17, 11. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. Any guesses who this is talking about? Who's, who's this promise to? Chronicles. Anyone? Guess who's this promise made to? King David. Yes. All right. Um, You wouldn't want to hijack this one for yourself. Like, oh, one of my future sons will become a king of a great land. Right? Kind of ridiculous. Uh, How about this one? This is a little bit more tricky, okay? I'm getting trickier as we go along. 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and, for, and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Okay? Who is this promise to? Yeah. The Israelites. Okay? Now, is there truth in this passage that we can learn? Absolutely. Okay? So, so this is a promise made to Israel. Um... But there's some principles in here that we can very definitely apply to our lives. That God wants us to humble ourselves, to pray and seek his face, and, and he will respond to that. 
Um, a way that we can misapply this promise for ourselves, right? And, 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 and I even hear people talk like this in terms of our nation, right? America. That if we just pray, God will heal America. Okay? Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. That's not a promise for America, right? God does not promise that if we pray, if his people, if the church prays to him and, and repents, that, that our nation will turn around. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. It's just not a promise made to our country, right? So that can be an example of us taking a, a truth um, that has a lot of uh, application for us, but taking it a little too far and misapplying it because it's not, the promise isn't made directly to us. All right, here's, here's an even more tricky one, and, and this is one that, again, is something that we can apply to our lives, um, but we also need to be careful of. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, for a lot of people, that's like their life verse. That's not a bad thing. This is a great verse. This is a wonderful verse. This shows just God's care and his goodness and his love. And does he know the plans that he has for you? Yes, absolutely he does. But let me show you why it could be dangerous to just jump to claiming this as a promise. Let me read the whole context to you in in Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore the fortunes, your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So when you read the full context, you're like, oh, okay, nation of Israel is in captivity, they're in exile, and God is saying, but I know the plans I have for you, Israel, though you're in exile right now, I'm going to bring you back from exile. I'm going to bring you back to your land. I'm going to give you a future and a hope that although things are really bad right now, they're not going to stay bad. They're going to turn around and you're going to be restored to your land. Okay? And we can actually take this if we're not careful and say, this is a promise for me. That means I'm going through a bad time right now, but this problem is temporary and pretty soon everything will be great. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Maybe God has you in this trial for much longer than you think. Maybe, maybe things get worse, right? This, there's so many things we can say, well, this says that my future is, is a good future, is a happy future, is, is, is all these things. And, and, and if we, if we over-apply this promise to say, yeah, this is for me, we're actually setting ourselves up for some disappointment. Okay? Now, you may be thinking, Aaron, why are you going through and just showing us what all the promises are not for us? What about the promises for us? Are you saying that we can't expect anything happy? We can't expect anything glorious for our future? We can't claim promises that give us hope? That's not what I'm saying at all. We're gonna, I'm going to give you a, just a bucket full of promises that, that should, should bring us joy and hope and confidence. But we need to make sure that we're clear. Whenever we see a claim in Scripture... We make sure who it's to, what the promise is for. These promises are still helpful. That we just the ones that aren't for us. How are they helpful? They teach us that God is in control. They also provide proof. These promises that are to Israel or to David or to Abraham. You know what these promises do? They prove to you that God's promises 
are reliable. Because you actually look back and you see God make promises to Israel, to, to David, to Abraham, and then you see it fulfilled. Listen to this verse in Joshua 21, verse 45. When he had made promises about bringing the people into the land, the, uh, the promised land, Joshua 21, 45 says, Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. So that's one of the main reasons why we see these promises to Israel and to others in the Old Testament is for us to see, no, God's promises are reliable. When God says something, he will bring it to pass. They show us that God's faithful and takes care of his people. So, sorry, I got behind here. I'll, I'll, if you want to put those down, you can, you can put those down. Um, all of God's word is profitable. And, and especially in the Old Testament, much of it is to show us who God is, his character. What's he like? Um, how does he interact with his people? And that's, and that's where we see these promises come in. You know, if, if, if someone made promises and they didn't have a track record, it might be harder to believe their promises. The Old Testament is like a track record of God's promises. And he's completely reliable, and he fulfills every promise that he makes. So, when you come in Scripture, if you're looking in Scripture and say, I, I need some promises of God, I need to really claim some promises for myself, how do I do that? All right? You're going to ask yourself some questions. Whenever you come to a promise, a claim, where it says, God says this, and you think it might be talking about you or toward you, here's some questions to ask. All right? Number one, like we just said, who is this promise made to? Okay? How do you find the answer to this? You read the surrounding verses. Get the context. Okay? What's going on in this story? Don't just cherry pick a verse out of a text because it sounds nice and it makes you feel good and say this is the promise for the day. Now that, That's a recipe for disaster because you might be really taking God's words and kind of pulling them out of their context. Right? You don't appreciate it when people do that to you, right? If, you, if, you, if you're talking with them and they just take one phrase that you said and pull that out and maybe even misrepresent that, but when you hear it in the full context, it makes more sense. We need to do that with God's Word. So when you see a promise, you ask yourself, who's it made to? And then you need to ask yourself, is this promise conditional or unconditional? What's a conditional promise? Does anyone know? What's a conditional promise? Steve? Okay, so you could say, if you do this, I'll do this, right? That's a conditional promise. Unconditional, obviously, would be, I promise to do this no matter what you do. There's no conditions on it. So you'll see both in Scripture. God will give us conditional promises. He'll give us unconditional promises. And so you need to ask yourself, okay, is this promise a conditional promise or an unconditional? And one way to answer that is to just look for the word if, right? If it says, if, if my people which are called by my name shall seek my face, then I will hear their land. It's a conditional promise. If my people do this, I'll do this. Yes? Uh, or can you point out that, is this promise in Yes. I was ignoring the typo, but I did see it. All right. So let's dig into some of these promises, Okay. And, and, and this is going to be verse heavy. And I'll just say now, you can write the references down. Don't try to write out the whole verses. Okay? Just the references if you want to write something down. 
What are some of the promises that God gives you? All throughout Scripture, we find promises of salvation. We know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Conditional or unconditional? Conditional, right? Whoever believes in Him should not perish. Those who believe in Christ will never perish. John 6.37, Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You shall be saved. The Bible clearly says that those who call on him for salvation, those who believe in their heart, Jesus, you are Lord, you died for me, I'm placing my faith in you, he promises and it's impossible for him to lie, I will save you, I will rescue you, I will redeem you. You will be saved. There's also promises of security. That those whom he saves, he keeps. And he secures and he holds them fast. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Later on in verses 31 through 34, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. This passage in such incredible language says that that those whom Christ saves, those who Jesus died for, there's nothing left to do. That no one can come and, 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 and bring a dispute against you or condemn you. No one can bring a charge against you because Christ already paid it and those who come to him are his forever. Jesus said in the Gospels that those who come to me, I will never cast out. No man can snatch them out of my hand. Those are promises of security. God also promises forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9, another conditional promise. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is an incredible guarantee that if you confess, confess your sins, it is in the very character of God to forgive you. He cannot do otherwise because it's faithful and it's just for him to do. And he's not going to go against who he is. And if you confess your sins, you can be sure without a shadow of a doubt that Christ will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God promises us his faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.13, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Is this conditional or unconditional? Unconditional. It says even if you fail on your side of things, even if you are faithless, he remains faithful because that's who he is. He is constantly faithful. He can't deny himself. He can't not be him. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this. 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Is this conditional or unconditional? Unconditional. If you're saved by Christ, he takes a sinner and he transforms them and then he starts to grow them. And he starts to change them over time. And this is what he says, those whom I save, I will sanctify, I will grow. And it'll be a rocky road sometimes, but I am sure that if he's begun a good work in you, he's going to complete it. He's not going to start a work and finish it. Have you ever started a project and then not finished it? Yeah, yeah, that's me too, okay? That's not God. You don't have to worry about God doing that because it's impossible for him to lie. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God promises his faithfulness to you. If you are his child, if you've called out to him for salvation, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. What's some other promises that he gives us as Christians? Promises of wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Again, in the context of James 1, he's talking about going through trials. Count on our joy when you, when you face trials of various kinds. And if you lack wisdom in that trial, ask God. And if you ask God for wisdom, if you ask in faith, nothing wavering, the next verse says, he will give you wisdom. He will give it generously. It shows that God isn't reluctant to give you wisdom when you need it. He's not saying, well, I don't know, I'm not not feeling it right now. No, he's generous. He wants to give you wisdom. What else does he promise us? He promises us peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a conditional one. Bring your anxiety, your worries, your fears to God in prayer. And when you do that, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I was just talking with... um, an individual who is going through a really difficult trial. And, like, really bad trial. And they, they came to me and they said, you know what, I've, been, I've just been praying about it. I've been bringing it before the Lord. And um, I have this peace right now, and I can't explain it. I don't know, what, like, I can't explain why I have this peace. Well, what is it, how is it described in this verse? Peace of God which surpasses all understanding. <laughs> yeah, of course you don't understand it. You can't explain it. That's the kind of peace that God offers. And I got to see, like in real time, a promise of God fulfilled, which was awesome. God says if you bring your cares, your anxieties to Him with thanksgiving, thanking God even in trial and anxiety and worry, that you are God and you are faithful. And God says, when you do that, I will give you my peace and I'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a promise. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. 
This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And as he left, he would leave peace with them. He would give them his peace. He promises peace. He promises rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is a conditional one. What's the condition? Do really good, do a lot of good stuff. Um, work really hard. Um, look really impressive. Is that, is that the condition? What's the condition? Come. Just come. It's the only condition I have. You, are you heavy laden? You tired? You worn out? Come to me, and I will give you rest. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. God promises rest. And God promises ultimately eternal life. John 4.14 But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There are so many promises that God has given you that you can say confidently, this is a promise and I am the intended recipient of this promise. And if that's the case, claiming that promise for yourself is the absolute most safe and sure thing that you can do. Because God cannot lie. In fact, listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Who's him? Jesus. And that is, why, that, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. That Christ's work on the cross and the salvation that he accomplishes for us guarantees the promises That all these promises that God gives us find their yes, find their fulfillment in Jesus. And it's his work and it's everything that he did that can give us even more confidence above and beyond the unchanging, reliable character of God. It's Jesus that we we can look to and say it's because of him and because of his work that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. So what does it mean to live a life of faith? Right? We're, we're Christians, right? We, we, we're supposed to live a life of faith. What is that? Well, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What's faith? It's being convinced in the promises of God and living your life according to those promises. That's what, that's what faith is. What has God promised you? I'd encourage you, if you want something to do in your personal Bible reading or something to look for as you're reading through Scripture, look for the promises of God and start creating a list of the promises of God that He has given to you. Right? Obviously, be careful. Make sure you, you're not misrepresenting the text. You're not taking a promise for someone else and stealing it. 
but the prom- there are countless promises to you. Make a list of those and cling to those in hard times. Cherish those in hard times. That's what, that's what faith looks like when you're going through difficulty, right? You're going through a trial and you're like, this is horrible. I hate it. But I have a promise in God's word that he's given me, whether that's a promise of peace, or rest, or forgiveness, or security, or faithfulness, or wisdom. Cling to those promises. Look for those promises in his word. And obviously the foundational promises that we started off on is the promises of salvation. Have you received those promises? That Christ says, those who come to me, I will not cast out. You know, because there's a whole other list of promises that we could look at that aren't as encouraging. And it's the promises related to those who reject Christ. Those who turn away from him. And, and, and those promises of condemnation, of judgment, are just as sure of God's promises of blessing. And so don't ignore those. Look to his promises of salvation. Have I, have I looked to Christ and believed him when he says, I so love the world that I gave my only son that whoever believes in me should not perish but have eternal life. And if, you, and if you have believed in the gospel, if you have placed your faith in Christ, then all of the promises that we just went through are yours. They're yours. They've already been given to you. And sometimes we just forget about them. We don't think about them. And we sit and we, and we struggle through our trial and not once do we consider what has God promised? What has he said to me? And I can guarantee you, if you're not in the Word, then how are you supposed to know what His promises are? Right? If you're like, man, you keep talking about promises, but I just don't see His promises. Well, have you opened the Bible? That's where they are. That's where they're found. And if you don't take the time to look for them, of course you'll never find them. Of course you'll be discouraged. So search for them. And then write them down and keep a list of God's promises. And then run to those when you're going through trial. That's what life of faith is all about. So what are the promises of God? They're awesome, for one thing. There's a lot of them, and they're completely reliable. Where can you find them? All throughout Scripture. Just open your word and look for it. Thoughts, questions, follow-ups? Any other promises that I missed? <laughs> I like the lesson. I'm going to highlight this entire page in my notes. <laughs> well, I mean, like, if you were able to write down those references, that's, a, that's your starter pack right there. Go to those and, uh, and then add to that list, all right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, being such a faithful God. Lord, we um, get so overcome in this, in this life. And uh, we get so lost in the, the struggle. Um, and we fail to remember that you've given us just a, an incredible list of promises that are meant to give us the endurance and the joy and the hope to make it through trial. You've given it to us. 
You've given us exceeding great and precious promises. You've given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We just need to use them. So I pray, Lord, that you would comfort us with your promises, assure us with your promises, so that we can live a life of faith for you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.